the more time I spent with our passage this morning, which is in Matthew 6, the more, uh, the more I prayed and just was thinking about this text, um, this, this theme sort of came right out of it. And, and Tim's, uh, <laughs> uh, the Spirit was at work today. Uh, at, you know, I don't know why I should be surprised at that, but uh, Tim's lead-in is perfect. Um, because what really pours out from this text is that Jesus is offering this sort of grand invitation for us to have um, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a Father in Heaven who loves us. That there is a Father in Heaven who cares so deeply for us. And it's this, this thinking, this knowing that there is a Father who cares deeply for us should influence and impact our daily lives. And that we can function out of this, this trust of knowing that there is a Father who cares for us. And, uh, and as the more I was praying through and some light bulbs were going off, I was like, man, God, when I plan this out, why couldn't you put this sermon on Father's Day? Um, so just pretend, all right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, just thinking about this text, uh, I want to read it for us and then we'll unpack a few things, but... I just want to ask a simple question, uh, a few simple questions. What does God see? What does he hear? What does he know? And what does he give? What does God see? What does he hear? What does he know? And what does he give? And we won't study all of chapter 6 this morning, but in the parts that we do, you'll see some things coming out of the text. That we have a God who sees us and he hears us and he loves us, and he gives us all that we need. And so uh, let's continue in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. We are past chapter 5, which ended with Jesus challenging us to be perfect. Therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I can remember studying uh, Greek in Bible college, and I bring this up not to boast of my abilities in Greek because they're not anything to boast about. And it's kind of an embarrassing story, and I don't know why I'm telling it other than it's a good story. My friend Jared and I, there were two stalls at Great Lakes that we liked to use in the bathroom because before any vocab test, Jared and I would uh, get, you know, upset stomachs and nervous, and so we would quiz each other in the, uh, in the bathroom uh, going through Greek, and uh, we did it for Hebrew, too. It was a method. It worked, guys. Well, we were trying to pronounce the word, and our, our Greek professor actually came in, and he was at the urinal, and he, uh, he took the, the word for perfect, which is there, it's teleos, we were mispronouncing it, and he was like, guys, it's, uh, it's Telios. And I, we were like, oh, thanks, John. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was an embarrassing, ridiculous moment that I'll never forget. But whenever I read that passage, I think of that silly story, and it really means nothing to you. But anyways, now you're in the know, and the more you know, I suppose. But uh, the, the word Telios, though, we can translate it perfect. I think uh, we need to think of it in the sense of not that you are perfect and without fault in the sense that we're trying to achieve something um, that is impossible. And Jesus is saying, be perfect and don't make any mistakes from here on out. What I believe Jesus is calling us to is completeness. You know, the, as if uh, you were, you know, as simple as 
coloring in the pages and you've completed the page and you filled it out if we would take what Jesus is telling us and he's saying here are the lines now go and complete it and fill in the picture you will reflect my glory and love in this world he's saying if you will be complete if you will follow me then you will be a beautiful reflection in the eyes of God he's saying be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect and I think what Jesus does from here on out is a sort of a hinge on this heavenly father and he's going to start talking to us about what it means to live in light of there is a father in heaven who loves you let's read our text be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be, uh, may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins when you fast do not be uh, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting truly i tell you they have received their reward and full but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not be, uh, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Part two of our message, we'll be looking at what is it for us to live in a world where a Heavenly Father is with us and we can live a life free from worry. But now, our text this morning seems to be speaking towards our lives lived out publicly. How do we live in light of having a heavenly Father who sees what's done in secret and knows what we need? You see, Jesus knows there's a thing about all of us. And and I, I sense that I'm not the only person who desires human approval. I know that everyone desires human approval because I've subbed in some classes that use this little program where they have like these little monster things. I'm forgetting the name of it, Oliver. What is it, Brit? 
Class Dojo. Class Dojo, all right? Now, Class Dojo has a bunch of little cool monster faces. Now, you guys got to design your own faces, right? Oh, you don't? A red monster with black hair. Brady, what's going on with yours? You don't know what's going on with yours? All right. But if you guys do something well, what happens? You get points. And you just start racking up points. It's like, hey, you turned in your homework. Points for you. Hey, you're not picking your nose. Points for you. And there's a little ding. It makes a noise, right? What's the noise, Brady? Brady, what's the noise? When you get good points, what is it? What does it do, Oliver? And then if you get a bad thing, does it make a bad noise? Yeah, there you go. And I'll tell you what, you would think, oh, I, you know, that, there's no way that that could work. And it's like, man, I just take the button, if they're misbehaving, I just start hovering it over the anchor, and it's like, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll shape up, Mr. I, we'll get this squared away. We're sorry, you know, don't be taking away points. Now, the points mean nothing, it's, it's like that old Drew Carey, you know, show, or the... Uh, whose line is it anyway, the points don't matter, and, and all that. But uh, it works, this sort of approval. And I know that it works for us, too, in so many other different ways, where we seek to have the approval and acceptance. Well, in the re- religious world and what Jesus is addressing is he talks about three topics. He talks about prayer, he talks about giving, and he talks about fasting. And he's saying that there are ways in which he has noticed people functioning where they are using these righteous acts as ways to gain human approval. And so in the way that they're giving, well, they're giving in such a way that, they, that everyone would know, hey, look at what they've given. And if, they, uh, if they, they were announcing it with trumpets, there was ways to give in the temple that could make a lot of noise and clinging and clanking and be like, you know, there's that moment in the, uh, in the Gospels where the widow just gives her one little coin. It was just this one little dink and in the tray, you know, in the communion tray or the offering plate, you know. Well, it's the wealthy would give it and be like, clink, 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 you know, and they'd be like, wow, look at his gift. Wow, look what they have done. And I sort of make a mockery of what the widow gives, but Jesus says, no, 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 this, this was the greater gift. So, so Jesus is addressing that there is a way in which the people were giving so that they would be celebrated. There was a way in which they were functioning that they were seeking human approval. And what Jesus is saying for us is, if you would take a step back and realize there is a Father in heaven who loves you, There is a Father in heaven who has sent me to seek and save the lost and give you life in the kingdom. If you will start getting a grasp of this, then there's ways that you function and give will be uh, dramatically different. Where you can give in such a way where you're not seeking human approval, but, but knowing and trusting that as you give, God sees exactly what you've given. You know... There is, um, there is a good test about how well we're, we're doing at this. And I, I, have, to, I have to challenge my, my own self with this. 
Because if I, if I give something, I am such an approval-seeking person. Like, I mean, just give me a, a pat on the back and, a, and a, a good job, and I'm good for days, you know. Uh, just ask Wendy. I'll be, like, sitting there begging you. What did you think of that, honey? Huh? Come on. And uh, this is completely true. She's nodding. Uh, uh, so I know this about myself, that I seek human approval. And so it's something I have to work with. And, and in particular, if you give something, it's kind of like, boy, did they say thank you? Did they recognize it? How are they going to recognize what I've given them? Will they say thank you? And so one of the tests I have to do for myself, and I have to test my heart, is if I'm going to give towards something, and say, so just an imaginary scenario, you're going to give someone, uh, someone $50 or give an organization $50. Would you be willing to say a little, a little white lie and say, this was anonymous, anonymously given to me to pass along to you and disavow any credit of it? And that, I have found, has been a way to measure whether or not I'm approval-seeking or if I genuinely want to bless and encourage. I'm not trying to create a sort of legalistic thing like this is how you have to give, but it's a way of testing your own heart. And you think, and if you say to yourself, and there's been times where it's like, no, I, I want them to know how important I am. I want them to know that I matter, that I want them to know something about me, that, I, that I'm something. And so it becomes this very real challenge for myself and say, in checking and examining my heart. Uh, for, um, uh, for giving, I think we need to be challenged to say, can I give this without my name being mentioned? Is it about me? Is it about human approval? Is it about the acceptance that I would gain by my giving? It's a real challenge. It's a real challenge to not... Seek human approval. I have a tough job. A lot of uh, a lot of my job is uh, to be sort of a righteous actor in front of you. And so this text really kind of did a lot of uh, things to me this week, and I was like, you know, gee whiz, God, uh, <laughs> you know, stop it. I I'll be all right. You know, just let me keep faking it. Um, but that's the, the test, is seeking human approval. You know, how, how do you measure uh, if you're getting what you're paying for out, out of your preacher? Is he doing everything that you want him to do? Is he studying the Word? Is he putting up the, you know, doing all the things that he's supposed to be doing? And you don't have to tell me. I already know. I'm doing awesome. So, um, the, uh, I'm sorry. But it's a very real challenge. It's a very real challenge not to pretend. And um, I've been thinking about it for a while, actually. For a long time, I've been thinking about cultivating an an inner devotion to God so that what you get on Sunday is supported by a deep relationship with God, not something that's just sort of going through the motions and pretending. Uh, but the more I've thought about it is that you guys are all um, perfectly capable of figuring out if I'm faking it. Um, you know, I used to think that when I lied to my mom and dad or I was telling stories that, um, that I was actually convincing them, you know, with my lies. 
and now that I'm a parent and, uh, and my children will sometimes tell little white lies about, you know, did you brush your teeth? Oh, yeah. Go brush your teeth. And then they just go in. You know, they don't put up any fight. And it's like they, give you, they just give you the bold-faced lie. And it's like, and I'm thinking that I tell that because I think that congregations can know whether or not their preachers are faking it. That if there's actually something going on to support what's being said. And so the thing is, is, is there an inner life for you supporting your walk with God? Um, you know, what, what sort of tree has the best chance of withhold, uh, withstanding a storm? There's, uh, you know, you just think about there's some trees out in the middle of the field. Like if you go out to Lowell's field, there's a tree right in the middle of it. And that tree has had to dig down roots to find water. And that tree's probably been there for 50 years. Who knows? Well, actually, probably some of you do know. I don't know long, how long it's been out there. But for a good long while, and how many storms has it survived? Now, if you were to go into the middle of a forest and you wipe out every tree but one, what tree has the best uh, chance of surviving next winter? The tree that's been out in the field its entire life, that's dug deep roots, that has found sources of water and sustenance, or the tree that has been protected by the multitude of trees around it? That tree is going to topple. And here's Jesus' point, I think. I think his encouragement is to say that if all you are ever doing is seeking public approval by your acts of righteousness, you are like a tree growing up in a forest. You are like a tree growing up in the forest because you are just being brought up among the other trees. And you've never taken the time to transplant yourself and hide yourself behind the closed door and in secrecy of, of the, uh, and privacy of your home and hunker down and listen and pray and study God's Word. He's saying if you just spend your time going to church, because that's what good people do nowadays, and you seek approval and say, hey, the preacher saw you at church this week. Check. I go down in my office and I do that. And I make the noise. I give you the class dojo. Bing! You got the human approval. And if you spend your entire life doing just that, then we can find ourselves growing up in a forest of people who have human approval for attending church. But I believe Jesus is calling us to be the tree that has found itself in the midst of a field. And you are desperate for water, so you dig your roots down deeply to find nourishment in the spiritual life that God is offering you behind closed doors where there is nothing but you and Him. And He's saying there is life there and there is hope there. You think about how we can twist these things. And so Jesus, he talks about almsgiving. He also talks about prayer. And he talks about prayer in such a way that it's all, all about drawing sort of attention to yourselves, about how righteous you are and your relationship with God. Who's ever met anyone who's fasted and they like to talk about it? I'm fasting this week. 
good for you. You are defeating the purpose. Fasting is not to prove your righteousness. Fasting, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would teach us, he would say, fasting is not something that we do to make God happy. Fasting is something that we do to separate ourselves from the material things so that we have a deeper longing for the bread of life. That we have a deeper longing for God. That we discover that we can do without food, but we can't do without the bread of life in Jesus Christ. And it's teaching us something. It's not something that we, you know, make ourselves look uh, like weary and be like, oh, I haven't ate for um, two hours. Um, yeah, I fast every night from about 11 o'clock until 7. I mean, I'm very religious. But friends, Jesus, if anything, is calling us to stop fasting from his word and find ourselves feasting in it closing the door behind us and spending time with Him. Our Sunday school class uh, over the last uh, several weeks, um, we studied just a book written in the early 1900s by a guy named George Knight. And the book is 20 chapters essentially about this passage. And it's called In the Secret of His Presence. I came across the book from my grandfather-in-law, Wendy's Grandpa Beavers, who was a preacher for forever and ever. He was a preacher since 18, and he never retired. He preached all the way up until uh, the Monday. Or he preached that Sunday, and then, and then on Monday he, uh, he went on a shopping spree for groceries. He won a shopping spree, and in the excitement, he had a heart attack. Um, you can laugh. We're laughing about it now, right? Wendy's nodding. Maybe you can laugh. I'm not sure, guys. But uh, uh, Grandpa Beavers was an incredible man, and he uh, had an incredible bookshelf of books, and on it was In the Secret of His Presence. And I was like, man, I want to read that. And each chapter heading just gives us so much encouragement and insight as to why we would want to go and close the doors and spend time with God. He says we see life in a greater perspective when we're alone with God. We get a mountaintop view of our lives when we spend time with Him alone. How many times have you been worried or concerned or you think on a certain issue, you just, you're right there in the midst of it and you can't see it. But if you would just simply go and close the door and spend time with God, He gives you a different perspective on your life. We gain proper perspective on Him and we esteem our lives correctly that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and He hears us. We have freedom to confess our sins to God when we're alone with Him. We have our pride broken when we're alone with God. We have our burdened conscience receive relief from God when we're alone with Him. Where our troubled hearts come quickly to a quiet rest when we're alone with God. We are lifted easily above life's many discouragements when we find time to be alone with Him. We can best renew our strength by being much alone with God. We discover the source of all power for service when we are alone with God. That's a particular message when we just feel like we have to go, 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 but we never take time to spend, spend it alone with God. 
our, our holiest aspirations are intensified when we are alone with God. The bread of life, the Word of God, is sweetest when we are alone with God. All selfish feelings are expelled when we are alone. And we know the joy of perfect self-surrender when we are alone with God. I went circled back and I was looking over some of the many highlights that I had taken out of the book. And this is one that resonates with me. This book was written in the early 1900s, like 1905, I think. The whole tendency of modern days, however, is to go the opposite extreme and make religion almost entirely a social thing. The dominant note of Christian life amongst ourselves is the social one. The great difficulty in early times used to be to get men to be earnest enough to go into the world and sanctify it. Now the difficulty is to get them to, go, to be earnest enough to go away from the world and sanctify themselves. We have a tendency to just make our lives a social one. We have an entire area on our phone devoted to being social. And I imagine it is the most, most viewed portion of our phones. There would be a social aspect. You know, you can do a thing on your phone, and I'm ashamed to say that my top app, not ashamed, I mean, it's just the reality. The top app on my phone is Messages. And I'll be messaging you or I'm messaging any number of things. The next one, if I'm honest, is probably Facebook. And the next one after that is, is um, uh, probably Sudoku. Where's time alone with God? Where's time with Him? If we spend our lives thinking that our lives are best lived out in the social aspect, we're going to miss out being that tree that's rooted deeply and has found nourishment and strength. Jesus says there is a Father in heaven who sees what you do in secret and he offers you a far greater reward. Because here's the deal. If you want human approval, you know exactly how to get it. You know exactly what picture to post on social media to get people to say, oh, that's awesome. And you know just exactly how to get the approval that you're seeking. And Jesus is saying, there is something far simpler and far more important for you. There's a Father who sees you in secret. And He knows what you need. And He cares ever so deeply for you. Go and spend time with Him. And so give generously and do it in such a way where you don't need to get your name written on the wall. Go and pray fervently and simply and He will hear you and care for you. And go and separate yourself from the world and fast from the things of this world 
and seek him in earnestness behind closed doors that you might find the nourishment and strength of time alone with God. There is a grand invitation in the Bible to come and believe and know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and he is offering every one of us life under our Heavenly Father. And he teaches us to pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, as I was visiting some more in the secret of his presence, there are many good quotes, but this one just sort of jumped out at me as the sort of challenge, and it's at the bottom of your sermon notes. Oh, to be but emptier, lowlier, all unnoticed and unknown, but to God to be a vessel holier, filled with Christ and Christ alone. It is this challenge to go behind closed doors and empty ourselves before God that we would be filled with Him. Let's continue in our closing worship. Let's stand and sing together.